0: Uh, zoom class. This is a school and not a church and neither are we affiliated with any religious organization. This school is a non non-denominational religious and scientific research organization dedicated to showing proof of the existence of Yahweh our Elohim and the operation of his eternal purpose, pattern, and plan operating throughout eternity to this present day. This school was established as a result of a divine vision and revelation given to our founder, Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley in the state of Ohio in the year 1931. We were incorporated in the state of of, uh, California in the year 1958. We hold classes throughout the United States and certain other foreign countries. The Green Bay Branch was established in 1975. At this time, I'd like to introduce to you the dean of the school in Green Bay, Dr. Andy Verkaterin, and the vice president, Dr. Michael Josephson. In this school, we use the true, correct, and original name and title of the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit, which are contained in the original Hebrew text. The true name of our Heavenly Father is Yahweh. It has been improperly substituted by Lord. The true title of the Word or Son is Elohim. It has been improperly substituted by God. The name of the Holy Spirit manifested in or out of a physical body is Yahshua. It has been erroneously erroneously substituted by Jesus Christ. Lord and God are titles and not names. The Apostle Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, tells us in 1 Corinthians 8 and 5 that there are Lord's many and God's many. But we now know that every Lord must have a name and every God must have a name also. Elohim is a title, but unlike Lord and God, Elohim is a divine title. This means that Elohim is a a title our creator chose for himself. Jesus is a name, but it is an erroneous name. A minor investigation on your part into a good dictionary or encyclopedia would prove that neither the Hebrew, Greek, nor Latin languages have any letters or characters in their alphabet that could produce the sound that is made by this letter J. Neither was there a letter J in our own English language until some 1400 years after the Messiah's death. Therefore, such names as Jesus and Jehovah are impossible renderings of the true and original name of our father and his son. Christ is a title just like Lord and God. Now, Yahweh is pure spirit. And in this state, he is incomprehensible and inscrutable. He is the ultimate source, substance, limits, and bounds of everything. We have Yahweh in this pure spirit state, symbolized on this chart as a cloud. Yahweh is not a cloud. He merely chose a cloud to symbolize himself because a cloud has no particular or descriptive shape and form. We have drawn this cloud all around the edges of this chart to show you that everything on this chart is within the cloud. In like manner, everything in the universe abides within the pure spirit state of Yahweh. Yahweh, knowing that man could not perceive of him in this pure spirit state, took on shape and took on form right within himself as Elohim. This is the word or son, a super incorporeal being, that is having the shape and form of a man, but without flesh and blood. This form could only be seen in divine visions and understood in divine revelations. Later on, this self-same spirit manifested, manifested himself in a physical body and walked the earth plane as Yahshua the Messiah, whom the world calls Jesus Christ. Now, there is only one name given unto salvation, and we must know that name. So the simple yet intelligent question we should all ask ourselves is, What was the name of the Savior during the time he walked the earth plane? And a further understanding of this name and title may be had by reading the preface of the Holy Name Bible. Also in this school, we teach by the divine pattern of the universe. It is called the divine pattern because it is Yahweh's pattern. After Yahweh led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he called Moses atop Mount Sinai, and showed him the tabernacle pattern in a vision. Yahweh instructed Moses to build one exactly like it in the wilderness of Sinai. The pattern consists of a most holy place, a holy place, and a court roundabout. These three compartments make up the one tabernacle pattern. In this school, we show proof that everything in the universe is made and operates according to the structure and function of this threefold tabernacle pattern, and that absolutely nothing escapes the pattern. We have 10 primary constitutional aims or objectives, and they are as follows First is to help you find and know Yahweh, our Elohim, as He really is and actually exists. Second is to form a nucleus of universal brotherhood of humanity in Yahshua the Messiah, without distinction of race or nationality, creed, sex, caste, or color. Three is to investigate the unexplained spirit law or so-called law of nature and the powers latent in man. Four is to encourage and promote the study of the scriptures, comparative religions, psychology, philosophy, and modern practical and occult science. Five is to extirpate current superstitions, skepticism, and ignorance. Excuse me. Six is to learn, no, <coughs> excuse me, and understand the operation of Yahweh's eternal purpose through the dispensations in ages. Seven is to discern and avoid being deceived by Lucifer, the serpent, the devil, the dragon or Satan and his demons operating the mystery of iniquity on earth through the dispensations of time. Eight is to earnestly contend for the common salvation and faith, which was once delivered unto the sons or children of Yahweh. Nine is to make known that Yahweh from the beginning ordained, there is no other name given among men whereby man can be saved, save in the name of Yahshua the Messiah. Ten is to inherit eternal life now in the kingdom of Yahshua the Messiah with the hope of immortal glorification in the new earth state. Our watchword is speak peace, and our slogan is speak the truth. Tonight, <clears throat> we'd like to have a prayer by Dr. Mel Knuth. Our scripture reading will be Exodus, the 25th chapter, verses eight and nine. And uh, will we have a song? And yes. a, so- a song selection.
1: Good evening, class. They don't answer. Go. Let's all take a moment and still our minds and ask Joshua to open up his great wisdom and knowledge and share that with us as he always does. Let's ask him also to allow us to take that home with us and make it real. Because if we don't, we won't have eternal life. We know that Yashua loves us all and he brought us in the class to save us. And we have to keep that in mind and not allow the wicked one to carry it away. And his wonderful name, let's all say, hallelujah.
2: Hallelujah. Well, that was fun. Uh, The scripture reading is Exodus, the 25th chapter, verses 8 and 9. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. That was Exodus 25, verse 8 and 9. Thank you. And
0: this evening, there will be a three speaker format and our first speaker will be the Dean of the Green Bay Branch, Dr. Andy Verkaterin.
3: Just want to say hello to everybody. Hopefully everyone can hear me okay. Yes. We're going to do something different today. Um, We will have two speakers following me in the video and they will split the time, but what I want to do, because I've had a lot of conversations with various people about a, a video and we call it the Tabernacle video. And it's a video, we're not gonna play it yet, but we're going to play it so people can hear it. Not yet, go back to the Tabernacle pattern for me, Roxy. The Tabernacle has things that we say about it. For number one, in our moderation, we say that in this school, we show proof how that everything in the universe is made and operates according to the structure. And this tabernacle has structure, which would be the bars, pillars, and boards, whole court roundabout, holy place, most holy place. It has vessels with definite material, uh, sizes, lengths, and widths, and so forth. That's all part of the structure. Everything in the universe operates is made and operates according to the structure and function. There's a function, there's a daily administration in there, there's a function of each one of these vessels, and there's a reason why the candles lit, there's a reason why there's a people, a Schubert. there's a function to the altar of incense, there's a function to the ark uh, of the covenant, there's a function to all of the things, and there's administration, and everything that creation operates by the structure and function and all these various aspects. We know there's seven steps, there's materials. And the thing is, the more we see about the structure and function, the more details we recognize, the more things we can see in the creation, whether it's a migratory pattern or it's a cell or, or whatever it is, you can see all these things uh, go by that pattern. <clears throat> we know there's steps in the pattern. The video itself, it's an old video, it's probably I'm guessing 40 to 50 years old, at least. Um, I got a copy of it from Lejeune Gill when I went to Springfield years ago. And there are things in the video that reference how we know certain things about the video. They reference if it wasn't for Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley, we'd have no idea how the high priest went into the most holy place. Now, we've also went into the Bible and most of the things in the video can be substantiated. In the scriptures, there are some things that you will not find in the book. These are things that came from uh, Kinley. So um, <clears throat> it's not a perfect video, it's, it's a very good video. And because we're such visual people, sometimes by seeing a, uh, a video, it can help us remember the process or the order of how what the priest did every day and the order of what he did every day and what he did in the order of the way he did it on the Day of Atonement, all these types of things. So I just thought I would play the video with the hopes because I know some people have requested it and asked to see it and we're going to show it. And if anyone wants a copy of it, they can get it from Roxy or myself but anyway, we're going to play the video now, and then after the video, we will have two speakers follow it, and I hope people enjoy it and get something out of it. I said enough, took enough time, because the video is exactly 41 minutes long. And hopefully everyone can hear it and see it okay, but I said the quality is old, it's 40, 50 years old, but I really think it tells you a lot. Turn your volume up if you can't hear it, and we'll just see how it goes. Thanks, you can go ahead and play it, Roxy.
4: dedicated to the memory of Dr. Henry Clifford Kenley. As a result of the divine vision and revelation given him in 1931, the knowledge and the understanding of the Mosaic Tabernacle has been made known. The model of the tabernacle in this presentation was not constructed to show every minute detail of the tabernacle, but only to impart some of the basic understanding that we have been taught and to give a look at what the tabernacle in the wilderness might have looked like. And Yahweh Elohim spake unto Moses, saying, Let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. And look that thou make them after the pattern which was shown to thee in the mount. And Yahweh Elohim spake unto Moses, saying, speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, he shall take my offering, and this shall be my offering which we shall take of them, the blue, and the purple, the scarlet, the fine linen, the goat's hair, the ram's skin dyed red, and the badger skin, shittim wood, oil for the lamp, prices for the anointing oil and for sweet incense, gold, silver, brass, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and in the dress plate. The first vessel constructed was the Ark of the Covenant. It was made of shittim wood and overlaid with pure gold. It was the only vessel in the Most Holy Place. It stood two feet, three inches high. It was three feet nine inches long and two feet, three inches wide. There are no measurements given for the two charms that were set on the two ends of the mercy seat. It had a gold crown around the top. There were four gold rings on the four corners for the stays that were used to carry the ark. These vessels were not to be touched. The mercy seat will lift up just like a hope chest would. And it is in here where Moses placed the golden pot of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the two tables of the law. The two tables of the law, there were three laws on the one side and seven laws on the other side. The next vessel constructed was the Golden Table of Showbread. It was made of shittim wood and overlaid with pure gold. It was placed in the holy place. It was three feet long. It was one foot six inches wide. Two feet three inches high. There were four gold rings On the four corners where the spades were placed to guard the table. There was a double golden crown that went around the top of the table. There were 12 loaves of unleavened bread on the table, two stacks with six loaves in each stack, representing the twelve tribes of Israel, the priests ate of the unleavened showbread. The next vessel constructed was the seven-branch golden lampstand. There were no measurements given for its construction, only that it was made of a talent of pure gold. Oil was poured down the center branch and flowed out to the other six branches. The lampstand was to be placed in the holy place. The high priest would light the lampstand at 3 o'clock in the afternoon where it would burn around until 9 o'clock in the next morning. He would then snuff out the seven branch golden lampstand, trim the wick, and fill it up with oil. vessel constructed was the altar of sin sacrifice. It was made of shittim and wood and overlaid with brass. It stood four feet six inches high and was seven feet six inches square. There were four horns on the four corners where the high priest would place the blood of the sacrifices. There were also four rings on the four corners for the staves that bear the altar. The altar is where the high priest would offer up and burn the sacrifices and offerings that were brought before him. After the sacrifices were cut up and cleaned, they were placed on the altar, just like they were before they were cut up. There was always a continual burning on the altar of sin sacrifice. The altar also had a grating system where the priest would shake the ashes where they would fall down to the bottom of the altar. It also had a door that would open up in the front. This was a means where the priest would then take the shovel and go in and remove the ashes that had fallen, putting them in the ash pan and taking the ashes without the gate. was the altar of incense. It was made of shed wood and overlaid with pure gold. It stood three feet high and was one foot six inches square. There were four horns on the four corners. It also had a golden crown around the top. It also had golden rings, one on each side. This is where the staves were placed to transport the altar of incense. The altar of incense was placed in the holy place. The high priest would offer up a prayer before the altar after placing the incense on the altar of incense. It was a sweet-smelling savor unto Yahweh. The one unique thing about the altar of incense is that inside is where the garments for beauty and for glory were kept. Only on the tenth day of October, the Day of Atonement, before the High Priest made his third trip into the Most Holy Place, he would change garments here. In opening up the altar of incense, we have here the robe, the embroidered coat, the girdle, and the ephod. the golden breastplate with the twelve precious stones therein. And the last thing that the High Priest would put on was this blue ribbon that went around his bonnet with the gold inscriptions saying, Holiness unto Yahweh. We have the two onyx stones with the 12 ties of Israel, six names on each side. The embroidered coat with gold trim. The hems of the garment with the bells and the pomegranates. The breastplate with 12 stones and the blue ribbon that went around the mitre. Here are the 12 stones on the breastplate, four rows, three across representing the twelve tribes of Israel. The blue ribbon with the gold inscription saying, Holiness unto Yahweh. The next vessel constructed was the brazen labor it was made of brass. There are no measurements given for its construction. It was placed in the court round about. Here is where the priests would wash their hands and their feet. And also, this is where the sacrifices were washed before they were placed on the altar of sin sacrifice. There was a spigot at the bottom where the water was drained out. item fashion was the holy anointing oil. It was compounded after the art of the apothecary, just like the incense was, and was used to anoint the vessels and the priests before they could officiate in the tabernacle. There were other vessels and articles in the tabernacle that we don't often mention such as chests that contained the oil, the ingredients for the incense, the spoons, the bowls, the knives, the snuff dishes, etc. Flesh hooks, shovels, and the pan. There were also tables where the high priest would cut up, clean, and dress the sacrifices. Now there were various kinds of offerings and sacrifices. Of the cattle, you had the bullock, And the oxen. Of the flock, you had the sheep, the goats, the lambs, the rams, the ewes. Of the fowl, you had the dove, the turtle dove, and the pigeon. There were also peace offerings. Meal offerings, sin and trespass offerings, the meal offerings, you had the grain, the flour, the unleavened cakes. Now the Levites, one of the twelve tribes of Israel, were set apart for the duties of the priesthood. One family of Levites, Aaron and his sons, were set apart to be priests. The rest of the Levites were to assist the priests. Their duties were for the care of the tabernacle. The low priest went in to do the service at the age of twenty-five. The high priest could only be high priest from age 30 to age 50. The sons of Kohath were responsible for carrying the ark, the table, the altar of incense, the altar of sin sacrifice, the lampstand, and the labor. The sons of Gershon were responsible for carrying the curtains, the coverings, the hangings, the gate, and the door. The sons of Merari were responsible for the boards, the bars, the pillows, the sockets, the pins, and the cards. Now here we have the high priest after he had changed from his linen garments into his garments for beauty and for glory, which he did on the Day of Atonement. And he never went into the most holy place without blood and also the incenses where the clouds were formed. Here you have the dress plate with the twelve precious stones, the onyx stones on each shoulder with the six names of the tribes of Israel on each side the blue ribbon around his mitre with the golden Christian saying, Holiness unto Yahweh, the hymns of his garment where the veils and the pomegranates were. And it came to pass in the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was reared up. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. look at the tabernacle we find out and know that the tabernacle was always set up facing the east and as we travel along the fence of the tabernacle this is the north side of the tabernacle going around to the west side and now on the south side the linen fence that went around the tabernacle was two layers of linen. The three coverings of the tabernacle was goat's hair, ram skin dyed red, and badger skin. The tabernacle was 150 feet long. It was 75 feet wide. The gate measured 30 feet wide. The fence stood seven and a half feet tall. The combined holy place and most holy place was 45 feet long it was fifteen feet high it was fifteen feet wide and its five pillars was fifteen feet high the door going into the holy place was three feet wide here we've taken the coverings off so you can get a better look at the sanctuary. On the south side here, these boards, there were 20 of them. They were 15 feet high, and the five bars that held the boards, and they were set in silver sockets. On the west side, there were six boards, and they too were set in silver sockets. The pole that held the curtain that went around the court roundabout, there were 60 all total, 20 on the north side. 20 on the south side, 10 on the east side, and 10 on the west side. And they stood at seven and a half feet tall. The holy place measured 30 feet long and 15 feet wide. There was also a blue, purple, and scarlet veil that went around the holy place with cherubs embroidered therein. The most holy place, which was always completely dark, it measured a perfect 15 by 15 foot square. Here as we look into the most holy place, we see the Ark of the Covenant, where Yahweh Elohim said that he would dwell in a cloud between the wings of the cherubim above the mercy seat. And the holy place, which was 30 feet by 15 feet. The four pillars, which measured 15 feet high. The altar of incense, the golden table of showbread and the seven-branched golden lampstand. And the blue, purple and scarlet veil that went around the holy place. Here the altar of incense is where the high priest offered up a prayer Unto Yahweh, and the incense with the sweet smelling savor unto Yahweh. The golden table of showbread, where the twelve loaves of bread, six on each side, the golden rings and the staves to bear the table. The seven branch golden lampstand that the high priest would light at three o'clock in the evening, and it would burn around until nine o'clock the next morning when he would snuff it out. Here we have the brazen labor with his foot, where the high priest would wash and also where he would wash the sacrifice before he was placed on the altar of sin sacrifice. Here we have the altar of sin sacrifice where the high priest would put the blood of the sacrifice on the four horns that were on the four corners of the altar of sin sacrifice and the four rings where the staves were used to bear the altar of sin sacrifice. Now here you have a overall view of the three compartmented structure of the tabernacle pattern. Now the operation and purpose of the tabernacle were the means for the children of Israel who were camped around the tabernacle to offer up of their cattle, the flock, or fowl, or meal offerings, a sacrifice unto Yahweh for their sins and for their transgressions. The priest would receive of them the sacrifices and the priest would make the atonement. Now there was a daily administration that went on daily throughout the year, without fail, and it started at 9 o'clock in the morning. They would bring a lamb to the high priest. The lamb would be killed, and the blood of the lamb, the high priest would take and put the blood on the four horns of the altar of sin sacrifice. Priest finished putting the blood on the four horns on the altar. They would bring the lamb to the high priest after he was dressed. The high priest would then take the lamb and he would wash him in the brazen labor. After the high priest watched the lamb, he would then bring the lamb from the labor and then he would then place him on the altar of sin sacrifice. He would be placed in the same manner he was before he was cut up. The high priest would then take cold off the altar of sin sacrifice and put him in his incenser. He would then take incense, two hands beaten small pouring them on the hot coals, making a cloud with the incensor. He would then go into the holy place. The two low priests always stood by and made sure the high priest carried out his prescribed duties. Now once inside the holy place, the high priest would then proceed on to the seven branch golden lampstand, which at this time, being at nine o'clock in the morning, it would be lit. He would then snuff out the seven-branched golden lampstand, because the tabernacle, being that it was set up facing the east, the sun would rise and would light the holy place. So the high priest would snuff out the seven-branched golden lampstand at nine o'clock in the morning. He would trim the wick, and then he would fill the lampstand with oil. He would then turn and proceed on to the altar of incense. place the incense on the altar of incense and here is where he would offer up a prayer unto Yahweh and after he had offered up a prayer he would then turn and go to the table of showbread where he would partake of the unleavened showbread Now he did this daily, at nine o'clock in the morning. And at 12 noon, he would go into the holy place and offer up a prayer. And at three o'clock in the afternoon, he would do the same thing at three o'clock that he did at nine o'clock. kill the lamb, put the blood on the four horns of the altar of sin sacrifice, wash the lamb in the labor, with his ancestor going to the holy place go to the seven branch golden lampstand and at that time he would light the seven branch golden lampstand because the sun would be going down and he would light the lampstand so there was never no darkness in the holy place. He would then go to the table, the altar of incense offer of a prayer and then to the table of shoebread where he would partake of it and then come back out into the court around about. And he did this daily without fail. Now on the 10th day of October, which was the day of atonement, this was the only day of the year that the high priest was allowed or permitted to go into the most holy place. And he went in there on three different occasions and never without blood. He went in for his own heirs, for the children of Israel, and for the cleansing of the sanctuary. His first trip into the most holy place, they would bring the high priest a bullock they would kill the bullock. The high priest would take the blood of the bullock, which is for his own heirs, and he would take hot coals off the altar of incense, put them in his incense, and taking incense, two hands being small, putting them on the hot coals on the incense and making a cloud. The high priest would then proceed on to the holy place and then on into the most holy place itself on this first trip. The two low priests standing by, bearing witness that he's carrying out his prescribed duties. And once inside the holy place, the high priest would then proceed on into the, host, the most holy place itself. you to know that if it was not for the divine vision and revelation given to Dr. Henry C. Kennedy, we would not have known how the high priest went into the most holy place. The high priest would part that veil on the right side, going into the most holy place, and going in on a cloud, he would come into the most holy place, and he would put the incense down, and he would move toward the ark of the Covenant, and with his thigh pressed against the stave, he would turn the Ark of the Covenant, and with that blood, he had flickered toward the Ark of the Covenant seven times. And he did this on his first trip, and after he'd done this, he would then pick up his incenser and back out of the most holy place, never at no time turning his back on the presence of Yahweh Elohim who sat upon the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. He would then come on out of the most holy place into the holy place. And he would take the incenser and place it on the altar of incense. He would then come on back out to the court. Roundabout, and as he come out to the court roundabout, two kids of a goat would be brought to him. One goat was to be the scapegoat, and the other goat was to be the sin offering. They would cast lots upon the two goats. And the lot that fell upon the goat that was to be the scapegoat, the high priest would place both of his hands on the head of the scapegoat. And he would confess over this live goat all the sins and the transgressions and the iniquities of the children of Israel, thus placing the iniquities on the head of the live goat. And after he had done this, placing the iniquities of the children of Israel on the head of the live goat, then that live goat, which was to be the scapegoat, was then led away by the hands of a fit man into the wilderness and set free. Now the goat that the lot fell on, that was to be the goat of the sin offering, they would kill that goat, and the high priest would take the blood of that goat, which was for the heirs of the children of Israel. And on his second trip, he would go on into the holy place, and then on into the most holy place itself, with that blood. Inside the holy place, the high priest would then take his incense, off of the altar of incense, and with that blood and incense, he would then go in on the right side of that veil into the most holy place, and once inside, he will put the incenser down. Remember, it's completely dark in here. And again, moving toward the Ark of the Covenant, and with this thigh pressed up against the stage, he will turn the Ark of the Covenant and flickering that blood toward the Ark of the Covenant seven times. This now making a total of 14 times of flickering that blood toward the Ark of the Covenant. And after having done this he would then pick up his incenser and back out of the most holy place into the holy place and once he comes into the holy place he places his incenser on the altar of incense however this time he does not come back out into the courts round about, because here, before he makes his third trip into the most holy place, he changes from his linen garments into his garments for beauty and for glory, and with that blue ribbon around his miter saying, Holiness unto Yahweh, he takes the combined blood of the bullock and the goat, along with the incenser, back into the most holy place and going in on the cloud he sets the incense down and with the combined blood of the bullock and the goat he goes to the ark of the covenant and with this thigh he turns it and sprinkling that blood toward the mercy seat seven times now making a total of 21 times this is for the cleansing of the sanctuary and if he's carried out his prescribed duties as he should and made no mistakes, then the high priest would see a vision of Yahweh Elohim setting on the mercy seat with the flashing of the second eye. This signifies that Yahweh Elohim has forgiven the children's iniquities for that year and has accepted the atonement. Then the high priest would pick up his censer and back out of the most holy place. And coming into the holy place, he places his incense again on the altar of incense. And with that blood, he put that blood on the horns of the altar of incense. This is for the atoning of the heavenly host or the angel. And having done this, he then changes back into his linen garment. and then proceeds on out until the court around about. Now the two low priests who were standing by, seeing that he has carried out his function and has made no mistakes, they sound the trumpets, letting the children of Israel know who were gathered around the tabernacle, that Yahweh Elohim has accepted the atonement for their sins for that year they would then bring a ram to the high priest they would kill the ram and they would dress the ram and they would give him to the high priest Where he would take the ram and he would wash the ram in the labor. And after the ram was washed in the labor, he was then brought to the altar of sin sacrifice, where he was placed on the altar and the ram was consumed. Now, this completed the duties of the High Priest on the Day of Atonement. Now we hope and trust that this presentation has helped you understand how the Mosaic Tabernacle functions there in the wilderness.
0: This video presentation is dedicated to the memory
3: of Dr. Henry Clifford Kent.
0: Can you hear me? Yes. Go ahead. Okay. We'd like to welcome a first time visitor and our next speaker this evening will be the Dean of Arkport, New York, Dr. Bonnie Snyder. Well, good evening, brethren. That
5: was very enjoyable. I had seen it um, a few days ago. I watched some of it and I'm glad that I got on here tonight. And this was part of this. Okay. So I probably have about a half hour, right? Um I want to go back to the Moses chart. I'm going to stay right with the tabernacle, but um, I want you to go to the Moses chart because I want to show you where it actually came from. All right. If you look at the top of this chart, um, you'll see in the light here where Moses is having this vision. And let's read this. Um, Exodus 24, 8, 9. Exodus,
6: the 24th chapter, uh, 20, 24, nine and 10.
5: Okay. Thank you.
6: Exodus 24, nine. Then went up Moses, Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the Elohim of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone. And as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness.
5: All right, so what they're seeing, if you look here in the light, what Moses is looking at is he's seeing Yahweh Elohim. And this is what the the rest of these two, Aaron, Nadab, Avihu, and the 70 the elders, that's what it says in the verse, that they saw the Elohim of Israel. And then they're explaining what the Elohim of Israel looks like to them. All right. And would you read that part again, please?
6: Verse 10, and they saw the Elohim of Israel... And there was Mm -hmm. under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone.
5: Well, the Elohim of Israel has feet. See, read.
6: And as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness.
5: Uh Uh-huh. Or he's a clear body or a body of light. And he's got a body. Read, please. And upon
6: the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand.
5: And upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand. So he's got hands, feet, and the body. You can assume that he's got a head. And so, well, if you want to. <laughs> um, anyway, what you're, and this is how Moses could say there when he's writing this down. Because Moses was the one that wrote uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, or the books of the law. He And he wrote down what he saw in this vision that he had. And he had three principal trips up on Mount Sinai where he saw Yahweh Elohim create the creation according to this pattern of himself. And he is actually, and if you move the chart down just a little bit so we can see the top of it it says that Elohim is the archetype original pattern of the universe. So it's Yahweh Elohim himself, see, that is the pattern of the universe. And the tabernacle pattern that was that is the, the uh, tabernacle pattern there in the mount, the intangible tabernacle, is then made, Moses is told to go down and make it in the wilderness of Sinai, a tangible tabernacle, which is a type and a shadow of the real tabernacle, which is Yahweh Elohim, all right? And I know that's that's a mouthful and, and everything, but I just wanted you to see where this tabernacle came from. It came from a vision up here in the mountain sea, and Moses was told, and all this can be verified, but if we get every verse, then you're gonna get caught up in just reading verses and not see what we're talking about, all right? So I wanna just stay with what, what we're doing. So anyway, what you have is Moses is seeing this vision up on top of Mount Sinai. And like I said before, he is seeing Yahweh Elohim. He's seeing the tabernacle pattern. He's seeing Yahweh Elohim create the creation according to the pattern of himself. And that's why this tabernacle pattern is so important. Because the tabernacle pattern shows you how Yahweh Elohim is. It shows you him. See, it points him out. It shows you about him. All right. So um, let's go to Exodus, uh, the next chapter, Exodus 25, 8, 9, and verse 40, please. And Acts 7 and 44.
2: Exodus 25 and 8. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Now,
5: see, if you read who's who's writing this, if you go to Exodus 25 and 1, perhaps, you'd see that it was Yahweh Elohim that's saying this unto Moses. So this still is what Moses is seeing in the mountain. And he's writing down what's thus saith Yahweh. And that's where your Bible came from. In fact, all the books of the Bible were written by the Holy Spirit. Let's get this one verse and then I'll get right back to this. So give Second Peter... Uh, 1, 20, and 21, please.
6: Second Peter 1 and 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation.
5: All right, now, knowing this first. Now, this is uh Peter, and this is after Yahshua Messiah goes through his death, burial, and resurrection. And he's saying something about all of the scriptures, no scriptures. And you'll find out if you keep coming back to class and we'll talk about these things, we'll keep talking about these things, is the scriptures are the first five books written by Moses, that's the law. And the scriptures are from Joshua to Malachi. Um, all right, stay where you are and would somebody else get me um, John 5, 39, please. John 5 and
2: 39. Thank you. Search the scriptures. Now,
5: this is your Messiah speaking here. And he's saying search the scriptures. Well, if you know anything about your Bible, and I hope that you do, or else you at least check this, check the things that we're saying. And we do ask you to check the things that we're saying. We don't expect you to believe it. But we would like you to check it out all right and and see if we're telling you the truth or not because this is contrary to the way people are taught in the world and we want you to know that you can know this stuff for yourself it's not something we expect you to just believe we want you to check it all right and if you check this particular thing right here what you're going to find out is these matthew mark luke and john was written some between 50 and 60 years after Yahshua the Messiah actually did the things that they wrote down. All right. So when he's referring and this is him referring to the scriptures, when he was referring to the scriptures right there, it could not have been Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John or the rest of the epistles or the book of revelation. It, they were not written yet. All right. So it had to be something else that he's telling them to search. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. Read on, please.
2: Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me.
5: See, but then he says, they are they which testify of him. So you're gonna find out that the law, the books, five books written by Moses, and I know I'm it's redundant to repeat it, but we need to remember how we learned it. We learned it through the repeating of these great mysteries that Yahweh has opened up unto us, and we hope that you also, if you're here for your first or second or however many times you've been coming, you'll take a look at what's being taught. All right. So anyway, um, let's. Would you read that whole thing again? I'm sorry. Search the scriptures.
2: Uh, John. That's John 5:39. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me.
5: So Yash was telling them that the scriptures testify of him. Now I want to get one more witness about that, and then I'm going to get back on the tabernacle. I promise. Get me um, uh, Isaiah eight and twenty, please.
1: Isaiah the eighth chapter,
6: verse twenty, to the law and to the testimony.
5: If now this speak is Isaiah, not. I just want to say this about it. You know how we and we I didn't finish the verse, but I'm going to go back there and at first Second Peter that. The law and the testimony were testifying of Yahshua the Messiah. In other words, everything that they wrote down, Yahweh told them what to write because it was going to testify of Yahshua the Messiah and tell you that He is the one, He is the Savior. All right, which is a whole other lecture, and we're not going to, I'm not going to be able to touch that. But go ahead and read that again, please, Jeff. I'm sorry. Isaiah, Isaiah 8 and 20
6: to the law um, and to the testimony.
5: To the law and to the testimony. Read on, please.
6: If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light
5: in them. If they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. And you think about what light is. Light is Yahshua. When he was walking around on the earth plane for 33 years, one of the things he said about himself was, I'm the light of the world. So there's no Yahshua in them. There's no resurrection in them. There's no morning star in them. See, if you don't have the witnesses that were provided of the law and the prophets, then there's no light in them. And our founder said, who and anybody, there's no light in you if you don't go to the law and to the testimony. All right, now let's go back to Second Peter, please.
6: Second Peter 1 and 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation.
5: Now, no prophecy of the scripture, no prophecy of the law, and prophecy goes back, the word prophecy goes back to the word teaching. No teaching out of the scripture, no teaching out of the law, no teaching out of the testimony of the prophets is of any private interpretation. Go ahead and read.
6: For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, Uh but holy men of Yahweh spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit.
5: So the prophecy or the teaching in the law and the testimony did not come by the will of man, but that came by holy men that were moved by the Holy Spirit. So it was the Holy Spirit that was teaching Moses. It's the Holy Spirit that had taught him and told him what to write down. It was the Holy Spirit that was telling the prophets what to write down. And then you're going to find out when Yahshua goes through his death, burial, and resurrection, he poured out his Holy Spirit. And then those apostles wrote down what it was that he had done and showed the fulfillment of things. And I know I'm getting a lot of things, but I just want to take it all the way across. And then you're going to find out that the epistles were all written by the Holy Spirit. So your whole Bible then excluding mistakes in there and there are mistakes in there but you can through the vision and revelation we can see what the mistakes are see and we're not concerned about every little j that's in there something like that we're concerned about the witnesses that are pointing out Yahshua the Messiah and his great name of Yahshua and things like that those are the things that are important all right so anyway The scriptures are pointing out Yahshua the Messiah, and that's what he said about it, okay? Now I want you to go back to now, finally. (laughs) Um, Take me back to um, Exodus 25. Thank you very much.
2: Exodus 25 and 8. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it.
5: Okay, so now again, I want you to remember that, see Moses up here in the mountain? Moses is seeing Yahweh Elohim make this tabernacle pattern. And that's how Moses can say that man was made in the likeness and image of Yahweh Elohim because he saw it happen up there in the mountain. He saw him as a man, an anthropomorphic man, see, or a super incorporeal man, he saw him as a man. And then he realized that, that Adam, because as he saw Adam come in on the sixth day of, of creation, he saw that Adam was made just like Yahweh Elohim, you understand? So that's how he could say that he was made in his likeness and in his, in his image. All right. And so, and you also have him told to make that tabernacle pattern just like the one that you see in the mountain so that's where Moses got the information from he got it from this vision and revelation and in actuality without a vision nobody sees you know naturally so can you see something without a vision without vision No. no without light on your eye see you can't see anything without a vision and so therefore you you Take that and, and bring it into a spiritual principle of it, and you'll see it without a vision. You can't see anything. Let's get Proverbs 28, 19, please, or 29, 18. I never can remember that verse for sure, but in Proverbs, there were there's no vision.
6: Proverbs 29 and
5: 18, where okay. there
6: is no vision, the people perish. Now, listen, this
5: is what he's saying, and he's saying it just like Yahweh told him. That's the thing about the Holy Spirit doing, the, doing this writing here. They wrote down what thus saith Yahweh. And I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but all when Moses wrote down, he wrote down, this is what Yahweh said. This is what Yahweh told me to do. You understand? And the self, same thing with the prophets this is what Yahweh said. This is what Yahweh said. And they never brought themselves into it. Jeremiah didn't say, oh, I have this big idea about a covenant. And and none of them, and Isaiah didn't say, oh, I have, I have a great idea about two witnesses. Nope, was nothing like that. They recognized that it was Yahweh giving him, giving them this vision, and they were to report it exactly like it was given unto them. You understand there's a great deal of truth into that and and reality into that, that you should be just like it's delivered unto us. That's how it should be reported to the best of our ability. You understand it should be reported exactly the way that it's given. All right. So anyway, Proverbs 29, 18. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Read that again. One more time.
6: Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish.
5: Okay, where there's no prophetic vision, the holy name says prophetic vision. And again, where there's no teaching vision, the people perish. So and we I don't know about you. And I don't know, you know, everybody's got a testimony how they came into class and the first things they heard, I never heard that there was such a thing as a vision given. I didn't even know there was a vision. You understand? And yet, that's how Moses got this tabernacle. That's how Moses got the name at the burning bush. See, and these things are very important to recognize. All right. And okay, let's just get quickly something on the name. And then we're going to go back to the tabernacle. Give me Exodus 3 and 13, please. And I I want you to stay in Exodus 25, because I want one more verse there. But give me Exodus 3 and 13. Thank you.
2: Exodus 3 and 13. Would you like to read how it is?
5: Yes, read it uh, how it is just in your King James. Thank you.
2: Okay, Uh, This is Exodus 3 and 13 out of my King James Bible. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. They shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them?
5: All right, so the story behind this is Moses Yahweh Elohim appears unto Moses at this burning bush. You look at it in the picture right here. You see Moses right there with his staff and he sees the angel in the burning bush and and Yahweh Elohim really is that angel in the burning bush. And he's talking to Moses out of this bush and he's telling Moses to go down into Egypt and deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses says unto him, when I come unto them and I say unto them, what's your name? What am I going to say unto them? And why would Moses even ask a question like that? Well Moses was reared up down in Egypt and he had fled from the land of Egypt at the age of 40 and he'd been dwelling in the in the wilderness for 40 years. So he when he goes back down there he knows that they worship other deities that there's many gods down there in Egypt and that he's going to have to say something. Well who sent me? You
2: understand? Now keep reading there in Exodus 33. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Mm -hmm. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you.
5: And that too is a mistranslation. It should be, I will be what I will to be. There's a great deal of difference between I am that I am. Any of us can say that. I am that I am. I'm only what I am, you know, and so are you and so is the dog. But you know what? Yahweh's not like we are. He will be what he wills to be. That's what his name means. That's what he gave to Moses, that definition before he even gave him his name. I will be what I will to be. He will be whatever he wills to be. And I know that takes a little bit of explanation, but just think about it. Something, someone, some great Elohim can be whatever he wills to be. mm mm-hmm. That's going to show you something that he is a great element. It's not like anything you've ever heard about before in your life. See, and it's been right in your Bible, but we never were pointed out. These things were never shown to us. And we're just here to show you what was shown to us because it's a great teaching. It's a wonderful thing to know. All right. So anyway, I will be what I will
2: to be. Keep reading, please, dear. 15. And God sent more over unto Moses. Thus thou uh-huh. say unto the children of Israel, Yahweh. The Elohim of your fathers, the Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Isaac, and the Elohim of Jacob have sent me unto you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial unto all generations. So he's telling
5: Moses there what his name is. This is my name for Yahweh. This is my name forever. We're just about still in forever, you see. And this is my memorial unto all generations. In other words, when you see that name Yahweh, you're supposed to remember, and this to the children of Israel first, when they saw the name Yahweh, when they heard Yahweh, they were supposed to remember that it was Yahweh that came down and delivered them up out of Egypt. That is Yahweh that fought their battles for them. That is Yahweh that fed them in the wilderness. It was Yahweh that gave them light in the wilderness. It was Yahweh that caused everything to happen that happened with them happen. You understand? And it was Yahweh that brought that second generation up over and brought them into their promise of the promised land. And they were supposed to remember that, the name of Yahweh. And it's not out of style, folks. In fact, we even breathe his name it's our very breath of life. And that's Psalm 68. Well, no, Psalms 150 and verse six says, let everything that br- breathes praise the name of Yahweh. And paraphrase it. But everything that has breath praises Yahweh. That's how you breathe. You breathe in yah, way, yah, way. And I know it's a bit of an exaggeration, but you go to sleep tonight. You hear your own breath and you'll see that that's the way that it is. You understand? All right, now quickly, let's go to, um, I'm sorry, Exodus 25 and 40. And then I want you to go, well, go ahead, just read that first.
6: Exodus 25 and 40, and look to make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount.
5: All right, so I said all that other stuff to show you that he got the pattern from Yahweh Elohim. And he was told to come down and make it in the wilderness of Sinai. Now, would you get the the body tabernacle? And I just wanna show you how that we are made in his likeness and image. And you may have always had a question about that. And maybe, maybe you didn't have a question about it, but either way, it is a great thing to recognize that we are made in Yahweh Elohim's image. See, just naturally so, and by the tabernacle pattern. And I would just like to say this quick, the tabernacle pattern is, if you have listened to the moderation that we have, it's the pattern of all things. Absolutely nothing escapes this pattern. Why? Because nothing escapes the great spirit of Yahshua. He is that pattern, the pattern of the universe. He's the pattern. He's the great, wonderful, something you can look at, see, and recognize that everything is him. All right. Anyway, I, it, it's hard not to get... Too much into it, but I want to take you into this tabernacle and show you how. And I'll I'll show you as quickly and as simple as possible that is possible for me to do. First of all, the tabernacle is threefold. It's a most holy place, a holy place, and a court roundabout. And there's seven steps in the tabernacle. The first step is the gate. The second step is the altar. The third step is the labor. The fourth step is the door the fifth step is the holy place. The sixth step is the second veil. And the seventh step, which denotes perfection, is where Yahweh Elohim, and we saw it in that video, Yahweh Elohim appeared on the day of atonement and forgave the sins of the children of Israel. So that was the workings of the tabernacle. And Moses saw all this in that vision. And Moses wrote all this down in the book about this tabernacle it's the most written about thing in the whole bible and yet none of us ever knew anything about it see and through this vision and revelation we have been taught and shown that this is the archetype original pattern of the whole universe and this pattern that was made down in the wilderness of sinai is a type and a shadow of yahweh elohim himself see or Yahshua, yahweh elohim yashua one spirit okay so anyway um In this tabernacle, like I said, it's threefold. If you look at the tabernacle of man, you see man right next to the tabernacle. And then over in the next picture, you see it broke down according to the tabernacle. So the man is threefold. He's a head cavity, a chest cavity, and an abdominal cavity. The self-same thing is you have the threefold in the tabernacle. See, you're threefold. And you do have arms and legs, and we can get into that. But, you know, even your arms and legs are threefold. You got a hand, a lower leg, low, lower leg, yep. A hand, a lower arm, and an upper arm. That's threefold. You got two of them. Self-same thing with your leg. Yeah, that's threefold. Why? Because you're made by that tabernacle pattern. See, everything's going to be threefold. In fact, everything you look at when you study anything in physiology and anatomy, you're going to find it's all threefold. You know, you everything, everything about you is made according to this tabernacle pattern, which is great. Five minutes. Thank you very much. All right. So I'm going to go quickly up here. So in this court roundabout area, you have uh altar of sin sacrifice. And some of this stuff was already talked about. I'm just going over it quickly. The altar of sin sacrifice. And that correlates with your, um, intestines in your body see and there was a constant burning on that altar back there in the wilderness see the altar and there's a constant burning in your body see how the two correlate together this is how you are made in the image and then you go to the labor there see you got a labor that's where the sacrifice was buried and and cleansed and you go to your body and you've got when your kidneys are put together they look like a labor and those kidneys are the cleansing of, of your blood And and then you come where the high priest then is anointed with a holy anointing oil. And in your body, you have your adrenal, adrenal glands that cup your kidneys. And that's a quickening to the body. That's where you get your fight or flight hormone from those adrenal glands. All right. Then you come to the door right here in the tabernacle. Over in your body, you have a portal vein that goes up through there. And portal means door understand all right the next thing you have here is your all um seven branch lamp stand see and it has seven branches and you know how of the branches of a lamp will flicker see or the lights of a lamp will flicker and you have your great aortic arch and that goes over the heart and it has seven branches on it. We can name them all. I haven't got time to do it right now, but we can get into this in more detail as much as you want. See, and you can study yourself as much as you want. So seven branches, seven branches. You understand light and light because <laughs> that's where the light of the body comes from. All right. So anyway, then you have your altar of uh shoe bread. It's got uh 12 loaves of bread on it. And it's where the priest came in there and had a sustenance. See? And your heart is your sustenance in your body. It pumps around 12 pints of blood. So you have 12 loaves of bread, 12 pints of blood, see, sustenance, sustenance. You come to the altar of incense. It's got it's a four-sided table. It was a high table. You can see that, remember that in the video. Um, and then your lungs are like your altar of incense. It's, it's the intercession between the outside air and the inside air, you understand? That's where it goes in and out, in and out, in and out See, And that's four sided and your lungs are also four sided. And you have your corona coming down there and corona means crown, just like this had a crown on it. That, that table had a crown on it. Your lungs have a corona coming down there, crown. All right, or maybe that's the, the heart. I, I don't know. I, it's been a while since I've done this, but I, I see the principle of it, and so do you if you're just looking at it. Then you come through the second veil. You're going into the most holy place. This is a three-in-one configuration here, and it's representing the throne of Yahweh, and in your isn't it's your seat of consciousness in your most holy place and didn't he dwell within a cloud in the mirror? let's get leviticus leviticus 16 and 2 i believe it is um it, you have gray and white matter and that's your seat of consciousness see and really that's where yahweh now dwells because that's what this is showing you just like yahweh appeared in the in the most holy place back here on the day of atonement, after Yahshua goes through his death, burial and resurrection, it is possible for you to have that Holy Spirit manifest in your body now, or resurrected in your body. And that's where he would dwell in your most holy place. You'd be conscious of his ever presence with you see. And that's what it means to have the Holy Spirit. And that's that uh, doesn't happen by magic, but it comes through listening and hearing the witnesses that Yahshua has provided in the way that he has done things. Leviticus 16 and 2, and I'll be done.
6: Leviticus 16 and 2, and Yahweh said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark that he die not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy
5: seat. So he said he was going to clear, appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. And if you look at the tabernacle and the body compared to each other, that's where the cloud is. And that's where he's going to appear on in that cloud, in your cloud, in your gray and white matter, upon the mercy seat. And he's still dispensing mercy. He's still on that mercy seat for right now. And I hope that and I, I hope and I pray. That anybody listening to this will take heed to the witnesses that Yahshua has given us to see these things. It's time to look at him and see him for yourself. So with those few words of encouragement, I hope somebody got something out of that. I thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. I'm glad to see everybody and all praises go to Yahweh,
0: Elohim through Yahshua. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Snyder. And our third, visitor this, our third uh, speaker this evening will be the Dean of Oceanside, California class, Dr. Dennis Vopi
7: I want to say good evening to everyone. And I want to say that the uh, video was very informative. I learned some new things tonight that I didn't even know, actually. So it was really wonderful to watch. Now, I'm just going to pick it right up from where uh, Bonnie left off because she laid a beautiful foundation and I want to For if you're if this is your first time ever attending one of these classes let me first of all say this this class is about trying to make you aware that Yahweh is real and that Yahweh can be known and understood and that's something that most of us were not taught in our religious upbringing that you could know anything about God, or that you could ever uh, certainly know uh, what his purpose is. And that's contrary, actually, to what is stated right in your own Bible. Now, our founder in 1931 received a divine vision and revelation direct from the creator himself. And after he had this experience and he began to try to express it, Uh, to people, he asked them not to believe him and not to accept that he did have a vision, but to make him prove it to your satisfaction. And that's what this teaching is about, is to try to get you to know Yahweh as he actually is and truthfully exists, which is our first aim of the school. Now, to do that, let me clue you in on a couple of key points that will help you understand in more depth what this teaching is going to try to get across to you and what has been expressed tonight. Let's go over to Romans one nineteen and 20, please.
6: Romans 1 and 19,
7: because that which may be known of Yahweh is manifest in them. Now stop right there, Jeff. Now what it says in your King James Bible is that what, what, uh, that, uh, um, what can be known about God. Now what they did in your Bible is they took out of the original text, that was in both the Old Testament and New Testament, and substituted the name Yahweh for Lord and God for a, a title that is used by the Creator Himself down through the, the Bible, known as, uh, in Hebrew as Elohim or Elohim. And also the name of the Messiah, which is Yahshua, not Jesus. Uh, as it's been expressed in our moderation, there was no J in the Hebrew language and still isn't to this day and so never at any time when the Messiah was walking around did anybody ever call him Jesus there's no J in Latin or Greek either now getting back to the point what Paul says here now Paul is up in Greece right now Uh, let's see wait a minute we're reading yeah Uh, no he's talking this is a letter to the Romans so go ahead start again at 119
6: Romans one nineteen, because that which may be known of Yahweh is manifest in them.
7: Now, right there, right that statement right there is a statement you don't hear read in church too often. Because that which may be known of God or known of Yahweh is manifest in them. And it goes on, finish that verse, uh, Jeff. For Yahweh hath showed it unto them. Now, the important point is to break that down, that one little verse that we just read. First of all, something can be known of God. Something can be known about your Creator. You can know it for an assurity. Second of all, whatever can be known is because Yahweh has to show it to you. And the only way you're going to learn about your Creator is from Him Himself. Now, our founder said that when he had the vision, he was an assistant pastor of a church. He knew the Bible from cover to cover. And after he had this experience, he realized that everything he thought about God was wrong in his whole life, and that he never really knew Yahweh or God or what God was or any of those kind of things. And after this vision was given to him, he realized that it is possible to know something about the creator of this universe that we live in. In fact, Yahweh Want you to know about him. The reason why you're here, the reason why I'm here, is to learn about him. Now, because that which may be known of Yahweh is manifest in them, for Yahweh has showed it to them. Read.
6: Verse 20, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal
7: power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, in this verse right here, he said, for the invisible things of him. Well, what are the invisible things of God? Now, number one, if you go over to the book of John, I'm not gonna, we don't have time to run and get all these scriptures. In John, the fourth chapter, the Messiah, or Yahshua, tells a Samaritan woman that God is spirit, or Yahweh is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Now, most of us haven't got a clue what spirit is. We have ideas, we have our concepts about spirit, but in reference to what spirit really is, nobody knows what it is. Your minister can't explain it to you, your priest can't explain it to you, whatever religion you came out of, they don't know what spirit is. Now, Yahweh exists in a state which is referred to in this teaching as pure spirit. And on this chart, the arrow is pointing to the top of Mount Sinai where Yahweh manifested in a cloud. That cloud led them out of the land of Egypt, hovered on top of Mount Sinai, and it symbolizes spirit. Now, cloud doesn't have any descriptive shape and form. Yahweh in his pure spirit state does not have a, a form that you can draw a picture of or be able to describe, or anything like that. In fact, in that state, he's inscrutable and incomprehensible, and he is eternal. Now what was revealed to our founder in his vision is that spirit is divine attributes, and the attributes themselves comprise what Yahweh truly is, and there are nine divine attributes. There's intelligence, knowledge, wisdom, love, beauty, justice, foundation, power, and strength. Those nine attributes is actually what Yahweh is. It's not what he has, it's what he is. He is knowledge. He is intelligence. He's the very substance of love. In other words, he doesn't have love, he is love. He doesn't have intelligence, he is intelligence. Now in that state, he has infinite intelligence, no beginning and no end of his intelligence or his knowledge or his love. And because that cannot be understood in its pure essence or pure state, Yahweh desired to bring forth creatures and make himself known to his creatures. So what he did is he took on a shape and form right within himself that he uh, communicated to Moses and the prophets and visions and revelations that is discussed in Exodus, the 24th chapter, verses 9 and 10. And that was referred to as the Elohim of Israel. Now, what Yahweh decided to do to make his purpose known and to make himself known is to create something that would reflect manifestationally the principles of what he is in pure spirit. Read 20 again, please, uh, if you would. Verse 20, for the invisible things of him... That's spirit. The invisible things are spirit. You can't see spirit. You can't touch it. You can't smell it. There's no way to detect it with your natural senses. It's completely invisible to you. Now, for the invisible things of him, go ahead. From the creation of the world are clearly seen. Stop right there. What does the word invisible mean, Jeff? Not seen. It means you can't see it. If something's invisible, it can't be seen. Now, here in the, what it's saying in 20 is for the things that can't be seen... Are clearly seen. Well how is that possible? How can you clearly see something that you can't see? Now this is how this works. Go ahead and read that verse again please. Verse 20, for the invisible things of Him from the creation
6: of the world are clearly seen being understood by the
7: things that are made. Now here's how you see the invisible things of Yahweh. It's by understanding the things that are made. In other words, Yahweh made everything. He created the universe. He created you and me. And every atom, every neutrino, every quark particle, He created everything that exists. And everything is a manifestation of some invisible principle that shows you what spirit is. So that the creation itself is mirroring The creator by manifesting him in a state of principles of what he is. Now, I'll use an example of that just so you're not confused. Mathematics is a science of principles. Now, what we do to learn mathematics, like for an example, when you went to grade school, elementary school, you learn math, you learn addition, and you learned that one plus one is two. Well... They didn't just say to you, one plus one is two. They showed you a manifestation. They took one apple and set it on the table. And they said, this is one apple. Then they said, and we're going to add another apple. So we got one here and one here. So one plus this other one make up two. So you start to grasp the idea what a one is. A one is not an apple, by the way. And a two is not two apples. But the apples reflect or manifest the concept or the principle of mathematics. And we learn by those manifestations. And that's how we know something about using a science of something that is invisible. Nobody's ever seen a one. You can't go up and draw me a one, a picture of a one on a blackboard. You can put the symbol one up there, but that's not what one is. That's a symbol of something that reflects a principle of one. Now, in the same way Yahweh knows that in that state He cannot be comprehended, He cannot be perceived, can't be seen. So He created everything. He made everything to manifest or reflect the concept or the principle of what He is in pure spirit. And so when we catch on to the principle that's how we're seeing Him. We can't see them with our natural eye, or as we would call it, our natural eye and vision and rods and cones that are in our eye or in our, uh, uh, if you will, our uh, sensory uh, sight part of our brain. But we have another way of seeing things that we call the mind's eye. The mind's eye is an ability for you to envision things that can't be seen. And a good example of that is this. Every one of us are absolutely dependent upon electricity. You have a power outage, ladies and gentlemen. If if the grid ever went down, as they say, there would be millions and millions of people that would die because we're so dependent on electricity. Now, here's the funny thing about electricity. Electricity is the flow of electrons. Nobody has ever seen an electron. You haven't seen one. I haven't seen one. Your electrician hasn't seen one. An electron is a particle that is part of an atom. And the most powerful telescope that I know of is called an electron microscope where they bounce electrons off of something larger than an electron so that you can get a visual idea of some microscopic particle. Now what I want you to know is this. We have understood by... Recognizing that electricity, and remember the old story about uh, Benjamin Franklin going out flying a kite, and the and then the the uh, 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 lightning hits the kite, and it creates a spark and all this kind of thing. Well, they they were able to see that the there is a invisible source of energy that can be tapped into that can be used to power things, like the light bulb, the electric light bulb, can take this electricity and turn it into light. Now, we all believe in electricity. Nobody's ever seen it. We know that it exists and we understand how it operates because our mind's eye, and I mean no, no pun here, has been enlightened to the idea of how to use a part of an atom to generate power that is able then to give us the ability to use that power to move, uh, to, to not only turn on a light bulb, but uh, you know to run motors and all kinds of things that we do with electricity. So what I'm telling you is that Yahweh, that, that idea of what I just expressed to you in science, is coming from the fact that Yahweh, who is pure spirit, and I could say this, he's a pure state of energy, higher than what any man could ever comprehend. He is able to take that power, that energy, that spirit, and manifest it in in a physical creation so that we can then see divine wisdom being reflected in our creation, divine intelligence, and love, and all these other things that we recognize to be what Yahweh is in pure spirit. So, if you would please, read 119 and 20 again, please.
6: Verse 19, because that which may be known of Yahweh is manifest in them, for Yahweh hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse.
7: Now watch. All right. We just read that uh, Paul there is trying to tell them in his letter to the Romans that Yahweh can be understood. He can be known by looking at the things that are made. By understanding the things that are made, it will reflect the principles of what Yahweh is in his pure spirit state. Now, let's turn for a minute, if you don't mind, over to Psalms, the 19th chapter. Starting at 1.
2: Sir, Psalms 19 and 1. The heavens declare the glory of El. And the firmament showeth its handiwork.
7: Now, here's what we're reading here. We're reading that David, who wrote the Psalms, is talking about the creation, showing us something about the creator. Now, Paul didn't come up with this concept on his own, sitting around philo- you know, philosophizing or whatever you want to call it. He didn't sit there and develop a philosophy, and then all of a sudden he's expounding it in the Scriptures. He knows, what's in the, he knows what's already written back in the Scriptures before he was even born. And here David says, although Paul read the Scriptures, he didn't understand them himself until he was given a vision and a revelation on the road to Damascus, and where the, he, the Creator revealed to him how he actually is and truthfully exists, and how his purpose and plan operates. Much the same as what happened to our founder. Now what happened is David writes, uh, read that again, start at one again, please.
2: Sure. The heavens declare the glory of hell, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto with knowledge.
7: Now listen, it says day unto day he's utter, the creation is uttering speech to us and showing us knowledge. I want to know this. How many of you heard the creation talking to you and how many of you saw the knowledge of the creator before you came down to one of these lectures? Mm -hmm. I didn't. We are all walking in this creation blind to the reality of what Yahweh, how he actually is and truthfully exists. But the universe and the creation that we live in, in our own physical body that Bonnie got up here and so eloquently ran through and explained to you, is trying to show you about the Creator Himself, once you catch on to it. And here David is saying that day unto day it's uttering speech, and night unto night the creation is showing us knowledge, knowledge mm-hmm. of the Creator. Keep reading, please.
2: There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard.
7: Doesn't matter whether you live in the United States or you live in China or you live in South, uh, southern t- South Africa, the southern tip of Africa, or wherever. The creation is speaking to all of us. It's got a language of its own. Now, the problem is, we don't know how, if if you don't speak a language, and you go to a foreign country, and you don't have one of these modern translator things, somebody speaks to you, you don't know what they're saying. You have no idea how to respond or whatever. Now, if the creation has been speaking to us, and we don't understand it, we don't respond to it. We don't know what to do with it. This requires that if you're in a foreign country and somebody's speaking a foreign language, you need a translator to bridge the gap between what you understand or what you, which is your language, and what's being said to you. Now, in the same way, we need something that can bridge the gap of our understanding from a natural standpoint, a physical standpoint, and how this is reflecting the Creator. Keep reading, please.
2: Four. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun.
7: Stop right there. Now, all of a sudden, David writes, in them has he set a tabernacle for the sun. Now, here's Mm -hmm. the funny thing. Before I came into this school, the only thing I knew that was a tabernacle, because I was raised as a Roman Catholic, was a little box that was up on the altar where they kept the chalice with the host. We were told that the tabernacle. I didn't have any knowledge of this tabernacle that was gone into tonight in great length. I didn't know a thing about it. And most people, when they read their Bible, will read right over that tabernacle, thinking, well, that's just ancient information about a church, that a portable church that God had them build in the, in the wilderness so that they could worship him in this church. That's the extent of what most people think about that tabernacle. But here's the truth. That pattern is more than just filler on pages where Yahweh didn't have nothing good else to say. So we just let, let's just fill it up with all how how big and how many cubits everything has to be, and so on and so forth. Look, let hold your finger where you're at there, and somebody else run over. I think Jeff, run over for me to um, Hebrews eight and five, I believe. Hebrews eight and five
6: who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of Elohim when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shown to thee in the mount.
7: Now, here's Paul reiterating what happened back there in Exodus. And he's saying that that when Moses was showed this pattern in the mount, and that's what that tabernacle was. It was a tabernacle pattern. It served as an example and a shadow of heavenly things. Or it served as a manifestation of something spiritual. So the tabernacle happens to be a translator that is able, once you understand how the structure of the tabernacle and the functioning in the tabernacle of the high priest You will find that everything that you look at essentially in this creation breaks down into a threefold nature. Now here, Bonnie got up and showed you how your body is threefold. You have a head cavity, you have a chest cavity, and you have an abdominal cavity. Well, let's go one step further. You have a cell. Your body is made or comprised of cells. Cells are threefold also. They have a cell body a nucleus, and a nucleolus. What about atoms? Everything is made from atoms. Atoms are three parts. They have an electron shell that goes all the way around, a neutron and a proton. So what we've got, we see the atom there is threefold, the cell is threefold, your body is threefold, and the tabernacle is threefold. And so what I want you to realize is this is a pattern by which Yahweh made all things. And everything is following this pattern and going according to the operation of the pattern. But you need to come back and learn more about the pattern and you'll be able to apply it yourself in things that you are interested in, things that you uh, like to like to look at, learn, read, uh, music, everything. Everything follows this pattern. And you'll start to get your eyes open to the reality that Yahweh really does exist. And everything is screaming to you and trying to declare to you the creator himself that has made all things, he is manifesting himself by all things in his creation. And we just need to come back. This class is too massive, too much knowledge, too much information, that we can't express it all to you in two hours, two measly hours. Heck, I'm having a hard time editing because I only had a half hour. And, I can't, and I've, you have no idea what I have cut out of things that I'd like to say to you, but I can't go there because there's not enough time. So this class is an ongoing learning process. And Yahweh has given us the tabernacle. I see the five minutes. He has given us a tabernacle that he has set in the sun that ex- explains and translates how the creation is speaking to us day unto day, and night unto night it's showing forth knowledge. And this creation is simply going according to a divine purpose and plan that Yahweh set up right from the beginning. And what I want you to know is is that uh, Yahweh is not passively sitting back and watching what's going on in the world. He's in control of everything in the universe. Everything is following His purpose and it is going according to spirit law. And all I can say to you is if you really want to come to a profound knowledge and understanding of your creator, and I'm going to throw this in for free. You don't have to join anything. You don't have to pay any money for this. You don't have to have tuition. You don't have to sign up for the, for the next course that will come to you and you know uh, that you can tap into on the Internet and go over now to our paid site where you can learn. You just come to these classes, and we're going to give it to you all for free. We all received it for free. And listen, our founder used to say this. Down here, we don't ask you to pay money. He says, because if we did, you wouldn't have enough money, I don't care how rich you are, to be able to afford this knowledge. That's how precious it is. He says, the only thing we ask you to pay is attention. And this teaching will pay off. Because once you learn these things, you will be able to take this with you, no matter where you go. This knowledge will permeate your heart and mind. And trust me, you will become conscious of the ever-presence of Yahweh. And you will find a peace within your own soul with this knowledge guiding you. And you'll be able to communicate to your Creator right within your heart and mind. And know for an assurity that Yahweh truly does exist. And that's what we're trying to do down here. We're trying to give you this knowledge and understanding. And here's why it's important. Go over, get me, uh, I think this will probably be the last verse, get Uh, uh, John 17 and 3, please.
2: John 17 and 3. And this is life eternal.
7: Now, here's the Messiah speaking. The world calls Jesus, correctly, Yahshua. He is saying, and this is life eternal. This is what eternal life is. Read.
2: That they might know thee, the only true Elohim, and Messiah, whom now has
7: sent. Your eternal life is to know your creator, not to not to guess up on, not to speculate, not to just have blind belief, but to actually know Yahweh as He actually is and truthfully exists, and understand His operation of His purpose through His Divine Son. That's what we're gonna learn down here. And you will acquire eternal life if you are willing to, to come down and and, and listen and just take it home, digest it, think about it, and you can always ask questions. We don't discourage questions down here. In fact, we encourage them because we know that we have answers to questions that I guarantee you, you've never heard anybody be able to express. So I hope with those few words, you enjoyed tonight's class. We want to tell you how much we appreciate you coming down here tonight and trying to listen to this and be a part of it. And we want you to come back. We would love to ask you to come back. So if you could do it. With those few words, I want to say thanks for the opportunity. And all I can say is peace in Joshua. Uh I'll hand it back to the moderator. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Dr. Volpe. Uh, we'd like to thank everyone for attending our Zoom class. We hold classes every Tuesday from 7 to 9 p.m. And in-person classes, we have them every Friday from 7 to 9 p.m. at 1311 Velp Avenue. And we do look forward to seeing you again. Let's all um, like to dismiss with the doxology taken from the last two pages of Jude. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise Elohim, our Savior, Through Yahshua the Messiah, our Sovereign, belong glory and majesty, dominion and power, both before all time and now and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
2: Hallelujah.